Hello, and welcome to the Box in One podcast, a podcast discussing sports and culture through the lens of the gospel. My name is John Richards, and I'm your co-host today, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chris Lassiter and Jeremy Hartman. Welcome to episode 20 of the Box in One podcast, where we discuss Christ, sports, and culture through the lens of the gospel. Wow, this is the 20th episode. I can't believe it, but we are 20 episodes in. Thank you guys for hanging out with me for 20 weeks. C. Lass and Jay Hart, what's up, man? What's up, man? Uh, what ain't, up? ain't nothing, ain't nothing. And we're recording this in the fall, and I think everybody knows that it's election season. If you don't, then you might want to get on your game because November is right around the corner. And as we talk about that, we want to make sure that we are in tune to what's happening in the culture, especially politically. Now, notwithstanding the fact that C. Lass is a member of the Virginia Tea Party, um, we all do have uh, opinions and political opinions, but we thought it would be good to introduce this topic with some articles that came out last week on Christianity Today's website. So Christianity Today, a popular publisher, online platform, published three perspectives last week, one from James Dobson supporting Trump, one from a gentleman named Ron Sider, who's considered an evangelical left person supporting Clinton. And then there's a perspective from our boy, Christian hip-hop head Show Baraka, saying that he's voting for neither Clinton or Trump. Um, He's not really inclined to do so. The title of the article is Why I Can't Vote for Either Trump or Clinton, and he does a really good job of talking about why he would not be able to do that. So I just wanted to kind of get you guys' perspective on what that article meant to you, uh, some takeaways that you got from the article, and whether you thought that Show Baraka wrote that article um, with a good spirit um, of Christian critique of both of those candidates. So I want to hear from you guys. What you think? Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in. Um, so for me, first, obviously, I'm not a member of the Virginia Tea Party. <laughs> what? <laughs> that, that was a that was a Jay Rich joke. Um, uh, he just little... means he's a member of the Virginia Sweet Tea Party. He drinks sweet tea a lot. <laughs> now, see here, that's where I'm about to say this. But do you know when we were there, Shobaraka? Actually, he followed up. NPR asked them some of the same questions. And um, one of the things that he said was that he liked the model of the Tea Party and saying, like, hey, we're within this fraction or faction, but we all have a different agenda. And we want to be able to, like, communicate those universally within the group of people and unite those voices. And I was like, hey, the Sweet Tea Party might not be a bad name for that instead of the Tea Party. But back no. to the topic, like I, Chris, no, I agree. You don't like that? No, no, sweet tea, please. Let's <laughs> not let's not do that to our people, man. Please, no, no. Yeah, I don't think Jackie Hill Perry would like that. She'd be on that sweet tea stuff. Hey, but listen, like, all right, all jokes aside, like I find myself in the exact same space as Show Baraka, where I say, hey, like this is valuable to me. Like I care about how the poor are treated, and yes, I do think biblically. Like that's a mandate to the church. Over 2,130 verses on care of the poor in the scripture. You can't get very far in any book of the Bible without running into care for the poor as a the entirety of scripture. 
and like I do care about like sanctity of life issues. And so on that side, like I am like I would lean towards conservative things, but like there aren't things I feel like you should compromise on either way. And so I find myself exactly where Shobaraka is for this election. There's been other elections where I felt like maybe like even though it wasn't exactly that strongly, like I could have went with one candidate or another, but in this particular case, this particular year, like I don't think anyone could have communicated how I'm feeling going into the election any clearer than Show Baraka did in the NPR piece or the Christianity Today piece. So I'm right there with them. Well, this is an interesting topic to me because, and this is a source of contention in my house um, because my wife, was a political science uh, minor in college. So she stays up to date on all of, you know, the political realm and everything that's going on. And, you know, she's pumped up for the debate tomorrow. Uh, me, I could care less. Um, I've always been that dude where I've grown up around, you know, politics and my grandmother and my dad just so into it. And it never really, um, you know, grabbed my attention. Um, I've tried to stay relevant and up to date on topics and sources of, of uh, debate and what the major issues are. But, you know, I feel myself um, with show like I don't feel comfortable voting for either candidate. I truly don't. Um, you know, I, I just I'm kind of at a loss because I'm like, which way do we turn? Like, I don't feel comfortable on either side, whether it's the Clinton campaign or the Trump campaign. Like they're just some some things that I don't feel like I can compromise. And um, so I, I, I'm, I'm like, Chris, I, I agree with show where he's at. You know, it's just really hard for me to, to get excited, you know, for the election coming up and going to vote because I'm really, I'm at a loss and I don't feel like I can vote for either candidate either. But I do think that uh, with the state of the world and the way things are, I think what we need to make sure we're doing, regardless of who wins or, you know, where we stand as far as the political realm, that we need to make sure we're praying for this country and for, um, you know, our elected leader, whoever it may be, uh, because they're going to lead us for the next four years. So that I've really just kind of felt like, okay, I don't feel comfortable in either realm, um, but I'm going to make sure I do pray for the leader of our country um, and continue to do so because there are some important decisions that will be made that will ultimately affect um you know, our country. So that's kind of where I'm at. I can't vote for either one. So, and it's not like it, politics has a strong appeal to me anyway, but I understand the importance of it. And I would, I would just agree with everything Jay Hart said, but I would just add to, I will vote. Like I won't stay at home. Like I do not feel like what our ancestors went through was for me to just sit back and not vote at all. And I don't feel like that's being um, a responsible citizen um, unless my conscience just said like, there was some reason I couldn't vote. I would feel like that's a responsibility that I will vote. So it's not like I'm staying at home or trying to find an easy way out. It's just saying like, hey, right now, as I just try to wade through this, like, I just wouldn't feel comfortable pulling the lever for either candidate at this time. So um, I, I was gonna say something similar to that. I have one concern and then one observation. And that concern is that the article, at least the title itself, um, couldn't lend to someone translating that to mean don't vote at all. And I, I want to make sure I'm clear that 
um, at least from my perspective, like it's very important for us. I mean, we literally just dedicated a museum um, in D.C. this weekend that really recounts our story, which is part of it is fighting for voting rights. And a 99-year-old woman, um, Miss Bonner, who happens to be the grandmother of one of my law school classmates, he was in the picture without, it was kind of strange, but um, to see him there, but I was like, wow, that's, that's Mike Bonner. Cool. But seeing that um, really should be compelling enough. I, I can't wait to go visit the museum and that might necess necessitate a trip down to Stanton at some point if I go down there. But Hold on, hold on. Chris, <laughs> we need to stop the podcast at this moment because I think Jay Rich just threw it out there. He's coming to stand. Hey, when you I'll get everybody ready, we'll have all the food, everything ready for you. When you look, when you get nostalgic for, you know, separate water fountains, you go to Stanton. They still there. <laughs> no way, bro. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so so that was the concern. So I just want to make sure that everybody is. Um, at least thinking through who you could vote for. And I'm not sure that even show himself um, in the article said anything about alternatives in terms of voting. He did say he believes that soon there'll be a movement of folks who protest both police brutality and abortions without feeling disloyal to one party or the other. But I think his feeling is that there's no one in that space right now. And for me, what I've seen over the years is that post-boomer leadership has always be, been decentralized. I don't think any of us on this podcast could actually name the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement. And that might be problematic when you're trying to mobilize people. So it's going to be interesting to see how things play out with leadership in this particular movement. I know they have the and campaign going with which uh, show Brock is one of the co-founders. And then there's a, another gentleman who's a classmate of mine from Morehouse, Sean King, who's scheduling a boycott to start in December on December 5th, um, similar to the quote unquote bus boycott in Montgomery. But, you know, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the structure that we have right now could lend to something like that working. So I'm, I'm optimistic. I appreciate everything the Ann campaign is doing and other people are doing, but I, I just am trying to find out what the end game is here. But the moral of the story from this podcast is vote. So you definitely exercise your right to vote. Vote or die. And I'm a, or I'm going to send you across the Brooklyn Bridge to get me some cheesecake. <laughs> they didn't get the Diddy reference. That was the wrong segue. Wrong segue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so we're going to turn to the second part of our segment, which is pretty cool topic, I think. We're, we're going to talk about evangelism and um, the other unreached people group. I, we talk about that from a sociological perspective and all the unreached people groups in the world. I think there are a couple thousand of them right now. Um, who have not heard the gospel. And we also have an increase in the in the number of religious nuns in this country who have no religious ties at all. And that's been increasing as well. But one of the things that I've been thinking through and processing is another people group who might be unreached 
by our ministry or our evangelism. And those are people who have been hurt by the church. Um, and I call them church hurt folks. And I just want to process that personally. And I think the church should process that as well as we think about the future of evangelism and what should, we should be doing. I just want to get you guys' thoughts on church hurt. If you've encountered people in your ministry who have been hurt by the church and, and what you've done to kind of address it or approach that. I'll start by just saying that not so long ago, I was one of those people um, hurt by the church. And it kind of all stemmed back from where I grew up in rural West Virginia. Um, just some of the doctrine and some of the theological issues in some of those smaller churches and communities like that um, did not necessarily jive with what scripture actually said. Um, and a lot of it, there were a lot of racial uh, undertones and overtones. Um, so I was very skeptical about the church. And part of that stemmed too from my parents were in a church um, that was very charismatic. Um, there was a lot of things that were forbidden. There, there was just so much that went on and I was too young to remember, but I remember my um, thoughts on any kind of religion was shaped by my parents' experience in that church and the fact that they left the church and hearing my mom say different things about, well, the pastor said this and pastor said that, and that's not right. And um, so it kind of formulated in me at a young age um, that church was kind of like, you had to be careful, like there were snakes in the church. Uh, but then as I grew and, you know, went to college and met Chris and the Lord just kind of really opened up his ways to me and like just opened up my eyes to everything. Um, I saw how the church was necessary and I feel like there are more people that I encounter that say, oh, well, you know, church is a bunch of hypocrites, church is this, church is that. And, and it all stems back from there was this one time or this pastor slept with, you know, my aunt or, you know, certain things like that. And um, you're really trying to break a barrier to get to those folks because they're so scarred from that. Like they're just, they don't want anything to do with it. And in those situations, like I almost feel like less is more, like you just have to love those people because I was one of those people. And anybody who tried to beat it over my head with, you know, Christ, 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 Bible, Bible, Bible. Like I was like, man, get out of here. Like stop bugging me. Um, but the people like my man, C last, um, my man, Petey Kyer, who like, they just kind of loved me through it. Like, look, we understand where you're coming from. Shout out to Petey. Yeah, shout out to Petey, my man. Um, you know, those were like, those were two guys who like, it was never like about, let's beat them over the head with the Bible. It was more like indiscreet, like we still love you regardless. Um, we'll always be boys, but like, this is what I believe. And I, I think that's really where we need to go with it is like, we just got to love people through it um, because ultimately the Lord is going to crack hearts and he'll reveal it in his time if it's his will. Um, but I think we just really need to support those people, love them and be examples and be light and salt in their lives. First of all, just shout out to my man, Jay Rich. The article you wrote for Christianity Today was really good. I love how you took um, that parable out of Luke, um, the Good Samaritan and kind of used it to say like, hey, here's how you deal with people 
with Church Hurts. I thought you did a brilliant job with that. Um, I would just say like two veins of thought that I would run through as I think about that. One, um, you know, like there is misdemeanor hurt. Um, people just say something, um, you know, off the cuff that they didn't realize might sting or wound or like really press against an area of struggle for you. And they didn't even realize they were saying it. That's one. Or then there's like the felony type of offense stuff we're talking about. Like Jay said, like, um, hey, like, you know, the pastor made a move on my wife or something like that. Most of what I've experienced has been stuff you would put under the misdemeanor kind. But I have been around people. I remember talking with one particular individual and um, whatever had happened with that individual will was so painful when we just started down that road, um, just tears everywhere. And we never even got to the point of what actually happened. But like, that was my first time just face to face seeing like how the wounds could hurt people. And you think about uh, some of the things that have happened in the Catholic church, um, just revealing all these atrocities that had happened against altar boys or, um, just finances being um, misappropriated. Um, people have real wounds. So Jay Rich, I love what you did with the article. And I tend to be someone who leans towards mercy and really hurts when people are hurting. And I understand it, but the church is so, it's such a means of grace. It's almost like impossible to grow in your Christian life experience apart from community. There are so many one another's in the New Testament that it just assumes that you will be in Christian community and the largest means of grace. It's not like you just wake up and it's like the Garden of Eden and God's walking side by side with you, speaking to you in a garden. But um, what he gives his people in the New Testament on a norm is um, a body, you know, a body to live out through, to see Christ in action through. And so lovingly, even with compassion and understanding, people have those deep wounds um, that, I mean, like we have to acknowledge, just like you said in the article, um, at some point we have to get them to where they're healthy enough to be back in, to ex like experience that means of grace consistently. Yeah, I think that church hurt is one of the least addressed issues in Christian ministry and evangelism. And when my boss asked me to write an article on evangelism, it kind of hit me the other day. I'm like, wait, we don't really, we address the nuns, we address those who are transfer um, attendance folks. But what about folks who are just flat out hurt by the church? And one of my colleagues at work says she does ministry work with women who are trafficked here locally. Um, in the Chicago area. And she said eight out of the 10 women that she ministers to have some form or level of church hurt. And that just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, what are we doing? What type of resources are we offering people to address that ministry leaders, pastors, um, to make sure that they aren't just looking to people who have no religious ties but those who have some really, really, really huge past church hurt. So one of the resources I wanted to mention here on the podcast is a book that I used in seminary and uh, read in my pastoral care and abuse class. It's called Healing the Scars of Emotional Abuse 
by a Christian therapist named Greg Lance. It's a really great resource, and I would commend it to anyone who um, is dealing with this issue, um, either personally or as a pastor or leader um, who has somebody who is who are dealing with issues of church hurt. So um, I, I appreciate you for for commending the article, but it was something that was just a a heartfelt plea for me in in terms of rethinking evangelism as well. So the last topic we want to turn to is, um, and we've all probably seen the stories, heard the narratives, but we want to make sure we address it here on the podcast because it's been a huge part of who we are in terms of addressing cultural issues. And it just seems like this is something that is repeating itself. So we want to talk about the Tulsa and Charlotte incidents where two black men were shot by local police officers. We've seen the footage of both of them. The Tulsa, the man in Tulsa was Terrence Crutcher and the man in Charlotte was Keith Lamont Scott. Now the interesting um, difference from this instant incident is that uh, one of the people who shot and killed um, Terrence Crutcher or the person who shot and killed him was a woman, a white police woman police officer and a black male police officer shot Scott. And we had some resulting riots in Charlotte, but nothing nearly as bad happened in Tulsa. So I want to give you guys the kind of time to reflect on that. I know we talked about Imago Day issues before, and we've heard the police audio from the helicopter in Tulsa where uh, the police officer says that looks like a bad dude too. He's probably on something. And at one point he said he wants her to taser that thing. And the cop in the uh, copter actually happens to be her husband. So interesting little context there. But what are you guys feeling from those two incidents? How are you processing it? And how are we moving forward in this conversation in terms of the Imago Day? Man, I have a, a whole uh, span of thoughts um every once in a while as a writer you just feel compelled to write something and um the thing that was really on my heart is with um just trying to get people to see like if you really want to be part of the healing process um like there's gonna have to be some change in the way we approach and think um and so the basis of what I put in the Facebook post was um, like, look, if I really want to be part of the change, like I need to see the Imago Day in these type of issues. Like I, I can't be so thin skinned that I can't have this conversation with um, my white neighbor. Like I can't just only have this conversation with black. I can't think I'm going to make a difference move the conversation forward. If I only know the history of any particular people group from historians that aren't even part of that people group, and that doesn't just mean black, that could mean Native Americans. And I had a couple other sentiments that just kind of went along with that. And I really just felt like um, compelled to put something along those lines of like, here's what the Imago Day looks like flushed out if we really want to make a difference. And I was really surprised, like it got shared over a hundred times and the newspaper called me and said, hey, would you mind if we pick that up and put it in the um, paper? And they did. But uh, 
like at this point, like I'm really just saying like, and we would all see prayer as supremely valuable and never a waste of time. But like, it's a time for me now where we just say like, all right, it has to be prayer and action. Like we want to continually lift up the, um, just those things, Lord, heal our nation in these racial divides and help us to come together, help the church to lead the way and then help us to like put feet to this. Like, um, it just seems like the same narrative over and over again. Now we have to do something besides um, talk and pray. Like we have to take some action steps. I think the biggest takeaway from all of this for me has been um, just sadness on both parts, like on both parties parts, um, you know, from the victims and their families to, you know, the police officers who were involved, like there's just a genuine sadness in my heart because everybody involved in those situations, their lives have been forever changed um, because of the situation. Um, and I think when we talk about the Imago Day, like it doesn't just apply to the victim or the, the men who were shot and killed, but like there was a person who actually did the shooting and the killing. Um, and I, I think if we we talk about loving people and you know everybody in the image created in the image of Christ, like there were multiple people involved in those situations, and you know it affects both sides. And there's just been a deep sadness and hurt in my heart. At first, there was some anger because some people that you know um, I am Facebook friends with like made some pretty demeaning posts. Um, and it almost feels like every time, you know, they kind of take that narrative every time a black man shot was well, like, well, he should just comply and do what they say. And, you know, it, there's just there's so many twists and turns to it. And I think through it all, everybody's feelings are getting hurt. And like the main thing that we're losing sight of is like there are people's lives that are changing. And, you know, there are problems that we have to address. And people just want to take stands and argue and throw stones at each other. But nobody really, like Chris said, nobody really wants to have the tough conversations without being offended on either side. And, you know, I think until we can do that and like really, you know, create some kind of action steps, I I think there's going to be more and more issues. Um, I just like I just feel a deep, deep sense of hurt in my heart and emptiness um, because it's sad. Like it truly, truly is sad that here we are in 2016. And and this is what we're seeing daily, almost weekly. Like Chris said, it's the same narrative and it's just, it's saddening to me. And I just kind of think like, how much does it grieve the Lord to see these things go on and like people being shot and killed? It's just, it's tough. Race is a tough thing. I, there are just so many avenues to take, man, and trying to process it all. Um, I just look back on past experiences and I, I know um, how certain people must feel. Um, you know, you look at people and you're like, man, are people scared? Like you can see people kind of driving defensively. Like you'd be on the interstate and you'll see a police car go by. And, like everybody's kind of like, whoa, because um, you just don't know anymore. And I think everybody's a little fearful and um, that that shouldn't be the way it is, but I think like, yes, we need prayer, but we need to have some tough conversations um, without being offended. 
to try to work through these things. And I think it speaks volumes to what Colin Kaepernick has done um, because this thing is kind of taking on a life of its own and more and more people are becoming aware and there's a movement behind it, but I also think there's got to be more action behind it too, instead of just public displays. Uh, I think, you know, there's some people in positions of uh, power and authority that can help make some changes and it remains to be seen if they'll step up and, and do something similar. So, yeah. Yeah. Who knew that a backup quarterback would be able to galvanize the people like this? When I think back on this past weekend and watching college sports, you see videos like um, the band members on the field who knelt down during the national anthem, whole student sections who are um, protesting um, because of what happened in North Carolina this past week. And it all started with a gentleman who was off the radar in terms of on the field. But because he felt something was wrong, he decided to to take a stand. And now other folks are are hopping in. And I, I have to agree with you, Jay Hart. Protests probably aren't enough. My formula is protest plus policies equal power. I think the problem is that protests don't take too much thought and logic. Um, policies, trying to come in and implement or change policies is what takes all the long thinking, the sitting down, trying to figure out and come up with a strategy. And again, I don't think that we have the um, leadership who can think through those or who's starting to think through those. Maybe there are people out there who are doing it, but we can't keep doing the protest, protest, protest without trying to shift and change policy. Now, I do have some friends in D.C. who are policy heads. They love policy. Um, and they are doing some great work. So I don't want to take anything away from them. But this has to be a national conversation. Few people can do that. And until we do that, I think that we're going to continue to have these frustrations and the protests are going to boil over. Things are going to settle down and it will happen again. So my prayer is that we combine all three of those P's so that we can actually effect some type of change. So, so that's definitely my ultimate prayer and continued prayers to the families of those who are involved or, and those who are affected by both of these tragedies and all the tragedies that have happened over the past year. Just one more point quickly. Um, I, I would agree 100,000% with you as far as like, it has to make its way into policies. We started this podcast today just talking about politics, which we really haven't done too much. But one of the things that I wrote in my Facebook post, too, was like, if you think like you can just pull a ballot in November 4th and then like you don't have any personal responsibility, like in your neighborhood to create better relationships racially, like if you never go across the street and meet your neighbor or anything like that, like that's just kind of lazy and it's not true. You know, like, yes, like we have to be informed. Yes, people died. So we'd have the right to vote. Yes, in First Peter, it tells us to be great citizens in the communities that we're in. That means being part of the political process. But like you have to, like there's a responsibility to you as a human to see the Imago Day and other people and act accordingly. So it can't just be pulling a lever on a Tuesday in November. Amen. 
completely agree with that. So um, for this next segment, we like to do something called Sorry We Missed That. And it's a story from the past that we missed during our podcast season. And it may have been years ago, but because we are diligent about making sure we know all things internets and getting to the end of the internet, we want to make sure we go back and capture some of this stuff. So sorry we missed that for this week. It's actually dedicated to our boy, or maybe Jay Hart's boy. I'm not sure how how much he likes this gentleman, but after about 21 years in the league, Kevin Garnett has decided to hang up the sneakers. The big ticket. The big ticket straight out of high school made a huge impact in the league. I think his team went to the playoffs eight straight seasons, made it to the Western Conference Finals with the Timberwolves, changed that franchise. Also uh, won titles with the Celtics as a member of the big three. Is that the original big three or would y'all go back to the Bulls? Oh, I, we'll I think the- Okay, give, the give original them. big three. The OGs are the Bulls. Um, nah, I, I think you might need to go back a little bit further with the OGs. I think Robert Parrish, Mikael, and Bird might have something to say about the, the big three. You you might be right. I mean, Parrish, yeah, Parrish is decent. So our sorry we missed that though is about my boy KG. And shout out to KG, man. Great career. Amazing career. Somebody went crazy talking about he's the greatest power forward of all time. But we know that's not the truth. He's a great power forward. He will be a Hall of Famer. Uh, But it's crazy because we have a story to tell. Right, Chris? We're not biggie, but we got a story to tell. I think Jay Hart got the story. Yeah, um, it was interesting just reading all the different um, tributes and everything that people were talking about when it comes to KG um, and just the things that he did and his passion and everything. And so I came across the story that, you know, current Cavaliers coach Ty Lu um, had just mentioned, and he had said he was at KG's house one time and they were watching um, that old Puff Daddy show, Making the Band. And in one of the scenes, cheesecake. yeah, walk your butt across the bridge and give me some cheesecake. But, uh, Two references in one episode. (laughs) Um, Some new guys came in and we're trying to sing and um, we're trying to compete against the guys who have been there. And he said, KG got, you know, so hyped and started spitting out curse words and was like, you got to stand up for yours. You got to fight. And he said, he just went crazy and he's all sweaty. And he just headbutts the wall in his house and puts a hole in the wall of his house. Like that's how crazy and passionate that man was about competing. And he's watching a reality show. So so when you're seeing him on this court, like headbutting, <laughs> headbutting the goal, like the bottom of the goal, like this isn't him playing. Like this is how passionate this dude is. Like I think I've seen his head like bleed once from doing that. Have y'all ever seen how hard he pushed Vince Carter after he dunked over the dude in the Olympics? Just go yes. back and watch the video and only watch KG's reaction. He knocked all the wind Bro. out of him. Yeah, like Vince Carter couldn't even celebrate. He ain't have no more wind in him. <laughs> it's the best celebration of anything athletic ever. Man, I'm going to miss KG. Like, he was that dude, like, on your team who was the enforcer, right? And the one who talked all the smack. Like, I'm a smack talker, but he's like, he's like 10 times worse than I am. He's, he's terrible. 
um, in terms of talking smack. Now he backs it up and he puts the fear of God in some players, but I'm going to miss him on the court. And I think that he did a good job with those guys in Minnesota um, last year, just developing towns and the other young guys. So uh, shout out to KG. I mean, we're going to miss you, dude. He, he was by far one of my favorite players in the league. And as an old coach, um, just hearing the stories about how he got after people in practice for not practicing hard, for not playing hard on defense, and for not competing. Um, like, he must have been a dream to coach just because of his competitive nature. I'm sure certain people took it the wrong way and couldn't handle it, but um, man, I, I just, I think back to how much he loved the game, how much he respected the game and how much the greats of the game had a mutual love and respect for KG. So we're going to miss you big ticket. I don't know. Do y'all remember when he switched from Nike to N one and he came out with that commercial with styles P that was part one of the story. Part two of the story was like posits with KG's name on it and it said Garnett. And so they had to get rid of him real fast. So they had them on sale. They was 160 originally, but then they went to $29 at A&N and everybody in Stanton had the exact same pair. It was a great week. KG had the Marbury deal. <laughs> 29 bucks. Well, that's pay less right there. So he may have been a head case, but he was our head case. And we're going to miss you, buddy. Have a great retirement, great sir. Don't go running through no walls, man, in rec leagues. If you need a rec league team, come see me, man. Join the rec league all the uh, He can bring – yo, he, he went to high school up there at Farragut. That's what I'm Ryan saying, Hills. man. He's from South Carolina. Yeah. Like, we literally cousins right now. That could be the most unfair <laughs> rec league team ever. 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 All right, so this – This guy said we cousins. <laughs> hey, Jay Rich, what would your stats be if KG was opposing you in the rec league? My stats? Yes. Oh, man, I don't know if I would do anything. Like, I might disappear. I'm being honest. Like, this dude's 6'10", six, six man. What, what am I going to do? I'm 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, like, I'm a guard. So, and I'm playing post in rec leagues, and I see KG out there? I might just, just fold up, man. It's your one time to shine, man. You can't fold up. No, ain't no shining. Sorry. We Yo, he wouldn't respect you. I'm he being honest. You if you didn't go at him. I'm out. Out. No, I'm. I'm gonna go at him one time, and then I'm walking out the gym. Uh, you about <laughs> to be a vine. <laughs> you about to be a vine. You gonna end up on Sports Center top ten. All right, man. Fare thee well, KG. Gonna miss you, man. All right. So uh, this segment is called "What We're Reading, What We're Listening To." Like to offer our listeners some resources and stuff we're reading and listening to right now. And I'll start and just let them know that I'm reading a book called Beyond Awkward When Talking About Jesus is Outside of Your Comfort Zone by Bo Crusetto. Um, it's a pretty good read. It's probably kind of the um, entry level read for folks who are just not comfortable with evangelism. So doing it in terms of a research project to do some writing on to offer some resources to some folks. But um, Bo's doing some good work in that area. He's had some really good practical stories in there. So I've uh, been reading that and then reading some biblical preaching by my boy Haddon Robinson, who was one of the princes of preaching uh, in the 21st century. So 
appreciate all his words and everything that he has to say kind of as a review for me, but just want to go ahead and hit up one of the folks that I respect in the preaching arena. Listening to Crowder just came out with a new album. Yeah. American prodigal. He calls it swampy pop. It's probably not what your boy Gavi is uh, in terms of being trash, but um, he has some great <laughs> songs on there, man. I'm a big Crowder fan. So, Shout out to Crowder, listening to Crowder this week, man. Then that's what I'm listening to, and that's what I'm reading. Yo, all right, so what I'm reading, I've been waiting to talk about this for a couple weeks because I almost slipped up last week and talked about it. But um, about two and a half weeks ago now, I ordered two copies of this book called The Tenacity of Hope, and I ordered one for me, and I ordered one for my boy Jay Hart. And the reason why I was trying to keep it on the hush is because my man Jay Rich is the author of the book, the devotional about dealing with um, hurt, pain, and just life in light of the gospel. It's a daily devotional. So right now I'm on page 73, about to start day 19, which is boxes. And I'm learning a lot. It's been an incredible help. Um, you're a good writer and you are quite the enigma. I would consider you one of the smartest people I know. Super perplexed when I saw that you tried to make a 14-hour trip with a one-year-old to a family reunion. Just couldn't quite figure that <laughs> one out. <laughs> Had to be transparent, <laughs> yeah. man. Had to help other parents I out. Said, I said, what is my man doing right now? Um, what I'm listening to right now still got to be um, the A-M-B-A-S-S-A-D-O-R ambassador album um he got a song on there called the church which i love and i'm also um for family devotional for a couple of days we're just going to be looking at urban church planning and um praying for those we were looking at epiphany fellowship in philadelphia today um i think i sent you guys a video of that but i also was just listening to some of their um worship team's album doxa they got a song on there called nail my glory to the cross Great song, love that song. So that's kind of what I've been reading, what I've been listening to. Well, you know, I was trying to sneak in there and go before Chris, but I knew he was going to do it, so I, I withheld. But I am excited um, to start reading this book, The Tenacity of Hope by our man, Jay Rich. Um, I'm still going through the pursuit of holiness with my men's group that meets tomorrow on Mondays. Um, as far as what I'm listening to, Yes, I'm still listening to Gavi. Whether you think he's trash or not, Gavi, <laughs> get you, know, you come all over to my crib all you want to and dance all you want to, Jay Rich. We get it lit in the basement. I ain't dancing. <laughs> my name ain't JoJo Dancer. I'm not dancing. Can you no dance? Gavi. Can you dance, Jay Rich? Can you dance? Oh, that's a whole nother conversation, brother. Ask my, yes or no question, fam. Ask my wife. That'll be a, a resounding no. <laughs> <laughs> But also the track, and I, I sent you guys this. I've been listening to Andy Minio's Stranger Things track that he did with Alex Medina. Um, that joint was crucial, man. Like he went in on that. I'm I'm a little upset it was only like two minutes, and I hit him up on Twitter and asked him when he was gonna release some new music. And he hit me back talking about I did, I released Candy Rain and Stranger Things. And I meant music that, you know, we could actually like purchase, download like album EP. But um, so that's what I've been listening to. Nice. 
Come on, man. We need the whole album. Don't be going Stranger Things on us. You know how he rolls. Like, yeah. I respect I, I respect the creativity and the artistry and what he's trying to do. But, uh, you know, he needs to go ahead and drop something real quick. Go ahead and do it. All right. Closing shout outs, man. Quick shout out to my wife. I'm discovering more and more each day. She's way smarter than I am and apparently way more popular than I am at Wheaton. Every time I meet somebody, you're you're Sheridan's husband. Mind you, I'm the managing director of the Billy Graham Center. But at Wheaton, I'm Sheridan's husband. So shout out to my popular, smart, amazing wife. Appreciate you. She must be in the room right now. I'm way smart. So, no, I just heard I just heard a sermon on marriage today, so you know I gotta <laughs> <laughs> get it in. Hey, look! Shout out to my man Jay Hart because Jay Hart's got a birthday this week and he's turning <coughs> years old. Um, look, I've been rolling with this dude since he had a silver sob, and we were making silver road bullets. trips to go see. Uh, yep, we were going to see um, high school basketball tournaments. And that was, that's been almost 20 years at this point. Been a faithful friend, man. I hope your day is great and love you, bro. Appreciate you. Love you. That's my shout out for the week. Man, the Silver Bullet, we made many trips up to Frostburg to see the Alhambra Catholic Invitational. Yes. Happy birthday, Jay Hart. Appreciate it, man. Shout shout out to Jay Hart, who's about to take this birthday L on these sticks. Oh, wait, before we get into all that, let me give a shout out to my man, Jim Schwartz up in Philadelphia. He brought the <laughs> Philly back. We're back to the 4-3. We're bringing the pain again. I love to see it. I'm excited for what the future holds. I'm just not getting my hopes up. We're only 3-0, and a long season ahead, but it's a whole lot better than what it's been the last three years. Hey, but for, don't put for, in that work today. For those listeners who don't know, he's talking about the desert that is Philadelphia. The Eagles. Um, hey, I, I just look. I just told somebody today at Chili's, if Cleveland can come back from three one down and and bring a title to Cleveland, why can't Philly win one? All I want is one, just one before I go. That's it. Not nice. Hey, Rich, yes, you got sir. any shout outs for your squads this week? N- no, I don't because I, I Georgia football is terrible, horrible. Shout out to Nick Chubb's hey, ankle. But I do have one more. I got two, man. Shout out to my niece Kaylin who. Is the new face of just for me perms literally go into your local hair distribution center and you'll see her face on the box. Amazing, that is what's that, up. Can you give me a discount my, on some? Hey, bye, and, Chris. Bye. <laughs> boy, if you hey, if you start to get if you do a process in your head, <laughs> you will no longer podcast with us, okay, buddy? Right, my barber told me I'm down to my last haircut. Boy, hey. I love your barber stories. Tell your barber he is my man's. Hey, hey, shout out to Danny Motes, man. Shout out the to homie. my barber, Danny Motes. He's been my barber for like 22 years. The hey, homie. Chris, Chris, at some point, Danny going to tell you, come on home, bro. Just come on home. <laughs> come on to the house. Come on in the room. <laughs> yep. The and I'm not going to fight it one bit. All I'm waiting for is the hairline to go back a centimeter and I'm out. Wow. Speaking of being out. Speaking of being out. I think we need yeah. to close on that note because receiving hairlines are not fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's been episode 20 of the Boxing One podcast. It's been your boy, Jay Rich, C. Lass, and Jay Hart. We appreciate you all for joining us this week. Make sure you head on over to the iTunes store. Subscribe if you haven't already or leave a rating and review. 
Also, go on over to Twitter. Give us a follow at Boxing One Podcast. Until next week, we'll see you guys later on. Peace out. Deuces. Get that, get that just for me. Support the Richards family. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>